Yo, welcome back to the MyFit Podcast. This is episode four. I'm your host, Blaze Grinner. And the topic of discussion today is one of the roles that can be one of the most life-expanding for men on this planet, which is fatherhood. And we're going to explore the challenges of fatherhood, parent hacks, the different roles that we play as men and women and the differences in raising children. And the big topic of discussion that we want to debunk is fatherhood guilt. It is now time to introduce our two speakers for today. Strap yourself in. This is going to be a phenomenal podcast. You. Here we are, episode four of the MindFit Podcast. We're joined by Brendan and Shane, two of these beautiful brothers that are part of the HQ membership. And just before we jumped on, and Maddie Wickens, our community manager behind the scenes is, is there as well. But we're just having a bit of a laugh about nerves. And uh, we're all talking about these men with the first podcast and how nervous I was with our first episode um, that I actually had sweat under the base of my feet. Uh, and I think that nerves is a nice little segue for this topic because one of the biggest things of, of my entire life that, mo- that gave me the most amount of nerves and stress was fatherhood when I found out I was actually going to become a father. So uh, brothers, I would love for you to introduce yourself, uh, give all of the listeners around the world a, a little brief uh, history about who you are. Uh, you know how we roll, like your, his story. Uh, let's go in like two minutes or less. Um, and then, yeah, I, I know that you both have children, but yeah, what are your children's names? Uh, so Brennan, I'd like to start with you, man. Hey guys, uh, Brendan McPherson Brits coming in from New Zealand, small surf town on the West Coast in uh, Raglan. Represent. I've got, yeah, right. Um, so I've got three kids. I've got a seven and a half year old with an ex who I've got part time and um, I see her every fortnight or so. And then I've got two beautiful children with my wife. I've got a, my, my oldest is Harper. And then I've got a little girl named Charlie who's three and a bit. And I've got a little boy named Jock who is um, 14 months uh, in a week or so. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a good spread. It's, um, it's really full on, but it is amazing and um, very challenging at the same time. Yeah, man, it is one of those. It is one of the most rewarding roles that we can have as a man, and I think also yeah. one of the most challenging as well. Uh, so, yeah, man, welcome. Um, um, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Shane. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I'm Shane. I'm on the Sunshine Coast, Queensland. Um, I've got a beautiful little eight-year-old daughter named Bridie. Um, she's my only child with my ex-wife. Um, we've got a fantastic relationship, so our care is very fluid and we, we go with the flow and um, we have pretty much 50% custody, but it's just all over the place. If, if one of us has got something on, then um, we're, we're very flexible. Um, went through, we'll probably get into this later, but went through the IVF journey to get our daughter, so there was six years in the making there. Um, so, yeah, oh, wow. a, a pr- pretty yeah. long journey into fatherhood. Let's stay on that yeah. topic, man. I, it's so funny when we always do the pre thing. Like, I've got these questions, Go and then we're like, oh, but someone will come. <laughs> and it's like, well, well, let's talk about this. Let's let's talk about um, IVF yeah. babies. Uh, we're the same. Yeah. We, 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 um, we, we had natural birth, but we have so many friends that went through that IVF process. Uh, had a friend, he tried and tried and tried through IVF, had like seven miscarriages and then left that ex and then he was with this new partner that first try naturally like had the IVF um so how was that process for you Shane like um I've never personally been in that yeah. situation but yeah how was that that whole journey of wanting to have a baby trying the IVF thing yeah, well, yeah well, me, me and my ex we'd only been together for 
probably not even six months when we decided that we wanted to have children. We obviously weren't married or anything, so we told both our parents that we were going to have a child just so when it happened, it didn't look like an accident. Um, and then we thought, right, let's get into it. And then we, we did a, a year of um, practising and nothing was happening. So, um, yeah, went and got some um, tests done, some fertility tests, and it was it was all me. Um, my modality, maybe it was. Um, there was heaps in there. They just weren't swimming. They were just sitting there doing nothing. Um, so we decided to go through IVF when we were down in Sydney. Um, the first one worked straight away and thought, oh, this is awesome. Um, we had a, a holiday booked in to go to Fiji a couple of months down the track, which the doctor said, yep, go for it. Um, and that's where we had our first miscarriages in Fiji. So that in itself was an eye-opener just oh, with wow. their medical system and having to having to get the one ultrasound yeah. machine on the island down to where we were and they're going, why, why yeah. are you bothering? Like it's gone. There's nothing you can do. And it's just totally different sort of um, medical style there. Um, so then we, we came back from that. We did, I think, three more lots um, through that IVF clinic with no success. Um, we then moved up to Queensland and went with one of their sister clinics up here. Um, I think the first time we went through that, we got two embryos out of that. They both got put in, nothing. Um, so we'd pretty much given up on it, and that had been probably five years. Um, and then a year later, my then wife um, was talking to someone at her work about a low-cost IVF option, and they compared it to like your Qantas and Jetstar. So this was the Jetstar version, same owners, um, similar styles of doing things. You just don't have your dedicated doctor. They have all of these specialty doctors that just come through that clinic one day a week. Um, it's most of the nurses that do the work, which is pretty much the same everywhere. Um, and they reduce their use of drugs for harvesting the eggs. It's all done under Valium rather than a, a general um, anaesthetic. So a lot less medication, which is awesome. Um, so we went through that process. Um, we got two, embry two embryo embryos that came through to blastocyst is the name for it, where they're ready to go back in the body. Um, the one that they said they'd put in looked really good. So we went, yep, we'll do that. And then they said, we've got one other one that's a roughie. Um, and they said, we wouldn't, we wouldn't waste your money freezing that one because freezing was the expensive part of it. But we thought, well, that's all we've got. So we put the good one in. We got nothing out of that one. And then the roughie turned into our beautiful little bridey. So, of course it did. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, Of man. course yeah. it did. Put yeah, 100 exactly. on the nose. <laughs> Cleaned up. <laughs> oh, mate, that's a, um, a really amazing journey, bro. Like uh, Over five years to stay in that process and have miscarriages. Um, with your ex-wife and wife at the time, um, how, how was your mindset, how was the conversations to kin continually step back into that conversation and trying and failure and trying and failure, especially when you both consciously wanted yeah, to have it a was, it was hard, especially her, her role at that time. She was working at Centrelink, so she was seeing a lot of parents who were having kids for the, the welfare side of things um, and having kids mistakenly. Um, whereas we, we had a whole team of scientists on our team and couldn't get a bloody baby and people are out there getting knocked up behind a dumpster out the back of a nightclub. So it was, it, it was our goal was to have a child. So we'd gone through the whole adoption thing. We'd looked at fostering um, and then 
we'd done everything. They said, forget about it. Stop, stop talking about it. Go for a holiday. Um, sex was a chore by that stage. It was there for a reason, not for enjoyment. Um, so that, that took a, a big toll on things, but we knew we still wanted to have a child. So it, yeah, it obviously happened in the end. So yeah. Something you just said then is something that we've spoken about within our team, our King's Table in the MindFit gym around when we're trying for a baby, it feels like a chore and that sex becomes this thing of like the like ticking the box. And it's really interesting that a lot of feedback that I've received from my partner on date days and that kind of stuff is that I'm ticking the box. But then when it's about making a baby, we feel like the woman is ticking the box. Um, how how do you navigate that, bro? How did you navigate that situation of uh, feeling like sex was a choice? Um, well, I guess it was a, a pretty good goal in the end of it, and it's, it still feels good. So, um, but yeah, it was it was nowhere near as as sensual and um, beautiful as it should have been. It was there just for a job, and in between that, I was I had to jack off every day as well. So it was I was I was busy. Um, yeah, and, and, I, and I was working on tugs at the time, so I was like, "I've just, I've just got it out. I've just got to duck down the tugs." So, oh man, thanks for letting us in. That's um, yeah, yeah. Um, wow. And let's let's talk about before we get to like I know we're talking about fatherhood now and making babies. Um, though I just want to switch the conversation for a second before we go too deep down that way, because we'll come back to that. Is I just would love both your men's perspective of what what is the role of a father? What does fatherhood mean to you guys? Um, and so Brendan, I'd love to ask you that question. Of what, what do you believe is the role of a father? Wow. Um, I think for me, it's become sort of as a protector and provider. Well, let me, let me start that again. The initial thought process was protector and provider and to mold little humans into what I think they should become. But um, over the last you know seven or eight years with Harper and then three and one with the little people, I've sort of come to learn that we're more just facilitators and and guides to you know and for me it's more about creating opportunities for them to discover who they are going to be and as hard as it is for me where I want to step in and and structure something or mold something and I get it wrong a lot of the time to a raised eyebrow and a gentle hey we're, remember we're working on this. Um, but yeah, it's just to be a to be a guide and to offer incredible opportunities for self development and exploration and discovery, and um, that's been far more rewarding for me than being the provider and the protector of my family. Um, is to watch them grow and and I've learned about self discovery from them in how to be a better dad. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the kids are the greatest teachers. I feel. And yeah, I think, think relationships in general are, are, are great teachers to show us our shadows and where our work is, but like our little, yeah. our little ones there. Yeah. What you just said just deeply resonated with me, man. I remember I wanted to be a fighter pilot when I was a kid. I wanted to be like what, Tom, actually Tom Cruise. I, I wanted to Tom be, Cruise, I wanted yeah. to be a bartender <laughs> and I wanted to fly fighter planes, <laughs> cocktails and top guns. Yeah. But I remember dad pushed so hard for it that I rebelled as a teenager. I actually at high school took all like physics and all the all the things that I needed to get into university. But then I'm like, no, nah, I'm not gonna do it because dad pushed so hard. And now as the father of three, I want nothing more than go on a surf trips with my kids. And they're only five, three and two at the moment. But just what you said of like being the facilitator and the guide, I don't want to in like 
enforce or impose my beliefs and what I deeply desire onto them because they may not want yeah. to surf, you know what I mean? My boys yeah. might, might want to do ballet or dancing, whatever it is. Yeah. Man. So, uh, yeah, man. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, how about you, Shane? What do you think um, our role is? As, as soon as you said that, those same words popped up into my mind, provide and protect. Um, and, yeah, guiding. So I, I try and use my life's experiences now to go back to how we can maybe give some advice in their younger years to to keep them fit and well and healthy um growing up so yeah it's it, yeah sorry sorry to use your same words again but um yeah guiding protecting providing um and just giving them giving them my all when I can and um being there for them um whenever whenever she needs me then I I try and make myself available yeah, beautiful. Well, all both of you men, and I had the same belief around providing, protecting, is that role of a of a provider, uh, a provider of a father. And I speak to like my father in law briefly with my dad, but then the, the, that next generation that's older than us about what they thought their role as fatherhood was, and it was those same two words. But I feel that they they had a different connotation or a different uh, meaning and so yeah. this would like to talk about if it's okay with you guys about your relationship with uh, your fathers um and how was that how was it uh what was what was good about it what would you have liked to have better um what did you receive what didn't you receive um and how how was your the way that your father was a father and the way that you're being a father right now what are the similarities and what the what are the differences? Why well, start with you, Shane? Yeah, so I grew up. My my dad was from Malta, um, so he he left school when he was nine years old to start building, um, to start providing for his family, and then moved out to Australia by himself when he was eighteen to again keep working and sending money home. Um, so his whole life was working, um, just Monday to Friday, which was good. So we had the weekends together, but there was. We had no emotion or feeling in our family at all from mum or dad. Um, there was no I love yous, no arguing, no affection. So it was just it was just life, I guess. Um, just a, a flat line sort of no real highs or lows. It was just this is what life is. Um, I was very spoilt as a child, so I was into competitive sailing um, and Dad had the funds to be able to give me whatever I needed, and I think he was trying to to win some trophies through me as well. So he was buying me the best of everything. Um, he was like a, I, I was like a professional. Even when I was ten, I'd I'd rock up to the sailing club. He'd have the boat ready to go. He'd put it in the water. I'd go and sail. I'd come back, step off the boat, go and shower. He'd wash everything down, de-rig it, put it all away for me. So I was I was very spoiled. Um, and I grew up not respecting money because I didn't have to do anything for it. So that that came back to bite me through my early working years once I left the nest and had to fend for myself and realised it wasn't a an endless supply. Um, and then and then that's that's something that I'm trying to instill into my daughter now. So she's really good with money and her mum's really good. And we're actually just talking about that yesterday, how how important it is. Um, and why I haven't been so good with it because um, I, I got given a lot when I was younger. Um, and then the, the way that I've moulded my fatherhood is 
I give my daughter a lot. I still make her work and earn for a lot of things. Um, but our affection is huge. So there's 500 I love yous a day. There's a lot of kisses and cuddles throughout the day um, because I didn't I didn't realise the impact that that had and the amount of therapists and stuff I've seen over my years. And the first questions is always, are your parents together and how is your relationship? And I thought, why is this such an important question? But as I'm getting older, I, I definitely realise why it is because you get these things ingrained in your mind um, from such an early age. So, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much doing the opposite to what my dad had done um, to my daughter now. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Brendan? Yeah, a bit of a mixed mixed bag, actually. So my folks separated when I was quite young, and um, my dad went to bat to keep us and ended up winning the court case. And so it was just my brother and I that lived with my dad. And, you know, he made sacrifices, changed businesses, quit jobs and stuff like that to be around more. But he was kind of an absentee dad. Um, and he sort of got involved in his own life and with girlfriends and that sort of thing. And he would just leave us to our own devices. He'd hook us up with movies and pizza and all that kind of thing so that we were in a great place and we never wanted for anything. Um, but I, don't, I was talking to my wife about it the other day. Like, I don't actually remember doing hobby type stuff with my dad when my stepdad came along he was a fisher hunter outdoorsman and he taught me all of those things so he taught me about the bush and hunting and fishing and diving and um and i don't remember throughout my lifetime i don't remember doing any of that stuff with my dad i remember like driving cars that was a love that we shared and it's still a love that i have a deep love of cars and driving and i remember my old man used to just take us for a drive on a sunday we just like get in the Jeffrey in the Cruz, Benz or the Beamer or whatever, and just go for a drive yeah. like that that was the afternoon yeah um so there's a real love that's come from that and that's something that i've carried through my years now as well and something that i share with my kids i let them drive the cars my oldest comes with me to the golf course i get her to drive the golf buggy so there's that side of thing but i think the contrast for me is that I'm working on being a much more present dad than I had and to actually engage. I, I felt loved, but I feel like my kids know how I feel, good and bad. You know, they see, they see the emotion, they see the breakdown, they see the tears, they see the anger. We revisit the conversations, even with my little ones, where I can sit down with them and say, hey, it didn't go quite the way I'd hoped it did. I'm sorry for this or, hey, how can we do this? And and it's an open dialogue where I remember like my old man used to just go and sit in the study and turn his music on and close the doors. And and that was sort of, that was the relationship. I was hearing Elvis playing through closed doors. Yeah, man. The, you hit so many points that just like triggered all of my stuff, man. Like the car thing. It's, I, yeah. I love going for cruises and we had the muscle cars come past here on the sunny coast and that's the next thing. It's like, I'm getting, I'm getting a muscle car. It's got to be a bench seat so the kids can sit up front with me yeah. and then breath our five-year-olds like, Daddy, we've got to get a yellow one. So it's like together <laughs> we're manifesting this this car thing. Um, yeah, and it is, yeah, love that presence aspect. Um, very similar to you, man. My dad left when I was seven and yeah. then like – a couple of things about what uh, you said you, uh, your father didn't really get to teach you many things and your stepdad did. I, I had no one teach me how to shave, bro. So like dad left and I had my stepdad and I was very rebellious in my teenage, teenage years. So I didn't know how to shave. Um, and so that like that rite of passage of going into puberty, that kind of stuff, there was no actual father figure to teach me how to do that. 
Um, and there was many of those times within my childhood. I had to sort of figure it out on my own or ask older kids or lead or the other father, father roles in my life were like my footy coaches and that kind of stuff. Um, and I li- literally just did a psychotherapy session um, about four months ago, uh, three, three, four months ago. And what came up for me was the 17-year-old version of myself. So going through this point, about to hit adulthood, and my dad wasn't there. And so I went through all of this turmoil uh, that was stuck, all these emotions that were stuck in my psyche around um, what did I really need as that 17-year-old boy? And all I craved was my dad to put his hand on my, uh, like put his hand on my hand and say, mate, I'm going to show you the way. Not, not do it for me, but show me. Like, this is where you go. This is how you have direction. This is how you, um, like, per- calling that life. Is that everything that um, you guys mentioned around uh, providing, we, uh, um, our fathers provided very well financially for the family. They, they set us all up and they set us, and that was their role back then was to set up and look after the family. But then things that you guys have said, and this is what I'm doing as well, what we're providing is emotional support, affection, and presence. So it's a lot more hands-on and what you just mentioned too around um, it, it's a two-way street with you and your children of like actually get to know who you are as a man. I think that's something that uh, I, not until I was, there's like 32, had my first conscious conversation with my dad and I had to dig and pry. Like it wasn't an open conversation. Like I had to ask for all this information <laughs> about what was his challenges as a father? Like, did he have men that he could rely on and, and talk to? And my dad was very forthright with everything and mentioned that he was alone and that he didn't have anyone to talk to. He'd go to the pub, but they couldn't, he couldn't talk about emotions. Um, I never saw my dad cry. I've never heard him say, I love you or I'm proud of you. Yet I did feel it. I, I played high-level high rugby league. And the first rep team I made was I was 12 years old. So dad went away with me. And I used to travel four times, five times a year with, uh, with footy. Dad was always there. Mum couldn't afford to come, but dad could, could come. And it was really interesting because I, I loved having my dad there. And he was at the time a photographer. So he's always involved, but was always involved with the parents. And, and he was part of the community. Though, got to a point when I was almost 18. And I know actually I was 18. Um, I got in a lot of trouble. And I had, uh, had to go to court um, on some charges. And I went in um, just with a... a a solicitor, um, the, the duty solicitor that the, the government gives you. And the judge looked at me. He's like, mate, where's your, where's your legal representation? I pointed to that, the man. And he's like, you need to go get a barrister. You're about to go to jail, mate. And I was just like, what the fuck? And he's like, dude, like, you, you're going to serve time. Um, I'm going to adjourn this for you. And as an 18-year-old boy, that was, and I'm going to say boy because I was not a man at all. I was so fucking scared. So scared. And so I needed money for a barrister and I asked my dad and he's the first person I rang and he said no. And I started asking, I had enough foresight to start asking myself the questions of like, why would you say no to help me? I'm about to go to jail. Um, and what you, so I can't remember who said about the trophy. It was like, um, I'm like, he, you're just glory hunting. The actual only time you want to hang out with me is when I'm playing football. I'm, I'm not your son, I'm Blaze the footy star. And there's this title that dad was really attached to. And so in that moment, I'm like, cool, I'm going to test this theory. So I was at the height of my football career, had a contract with Canberra, and I had a playing manager. I'm like, I'm going to give up football for a year. And I did. And my dad didn't speak to me for a fucking year. 
And then it was- Wow, that's hard. Right. It was a really, yeah. And so there was a lot of conflict there and there was so much hatred and anger and aggression. Like he'd already walked out of me once as a seven-year-old. And that was my belief. Like it was between him and mom. But as a young kid, I'm yeah. fairly yeah, like, he, yeah, ab- he abandoned me. Yeah. But then for the, to see that he didn't talk to me, I remember one Christmas he bought me an actual trophy cabinet for Christmas. <laughs> That's what he bought me. You've, just, fucking, you've just got to fill it. Fuck it. And and that was the thing because wow. I had all of these trophies, and that was his mentality. And and so many of us, I got caught in that as well. That materialistic world, and it was about the trophies. But then everything that we're talking about is this emotional affection and presence for a kid. There's no trophies in that. Um, what um. What what challenges um I have you been facing as as a father, um, both of you gentlemen, um with navigating fatherhood? What have been the biggest challenges uh, to date for you guys? Um mine would be I guess when Bridie was first born, our relationship totally, totally changed. Um my wife, her she was put on this earth to be a mother. Um, so when she finally got that opportunity, our relationship went. So I was I was just there to provide, I think, and then that was that was about it. Um, I don't think I was. I I didn't feel like I was competent to be doing all the fathering stuff um, because I hadn't done all the study that she had done, and um, yeah, I I felt like I was a bit out of my depth. Um, just to start with, so that's when I I really knuckled down into my work. So I, I was nowhere near um, home as much as I would have liked to have been. Um, I was still home every night, but I was working very long hours and um, that sort of thing. And then um, I became unwell a few years after that, and then we went travelling for a year, so we're all together in a caravan, which was amazing. Um, to be able to spend every day waking up with your little girl was was pretty awesome. Um, and then our marriage fell apart just after that. So then it turned into a driving eight hours every couple of weeks to be with my daughter. And that sort of changed the dynamics of how I was fathering because, um, again, she thought that I had run away from them because I didn't love them anymore. So I was pretty much turned into the fun dad. There was no discipline at all. It was just all about having fun. Um, and it's it's slowly just starting to get back into a little bit of discipline now, but um, yeah, I'm I'm still more of the fun, adventurous sort of style. Yeah, the, yeah, wow. The um, uh, one of my mentors, Jedi Azuma, we we've talked about this, and it's, it's very what you're talking about is there's archetypes of masculinity. So the king, warrior, love, and magician. And there's like, if you keep going, there's all these archetypes. But what are the archetypes of fatherhood? Because there is the fun dad. There is like the dad bod, the, the, the stern or firm dad. There's the absent dad. There's all the, I, I feel there's something in that for that, um, uh, for, for, um, for us to look into. I think it'd be a really amazing topic. The, what you just mentioned around the fun dad, it was, I, until I became a father, there was this period of time that I was super fucking serious. Uh, like I forgot to how to be a kid and how to have fun and how to play. And having kids was the permission slip for me to actually allow myself to be silly again and to actually have fun and stop being so serious. Uh, but yeah, Brendan, so what's, um, 
for you, man, what's been some of the challenges with fatherhood? Um, so I think being present was the biggest one for me. So when, um, when I was with my ex, um, I sent her, she was here in New Zealand and she got pregnant. It was an unplanned thing and our relationship was on the rock. So I ended up not sponsoring her for a visa and sending her back to the States. Um, pregnant with my daughter we tried to patch it up and I went to the States for my daughter's birth but in coming back to New Zealand I pulled the pin on the relationship and I walked away so I didn't get to see my oldest Harper for three years wow. and I was just like a non um, well, I was at war with her mother and you know the relationship with Harper didn't exist so she came back to New Zealand um, just after her third birthday and I got to slowly meet her and, and engage and start to become a dad but with no knowledge no experience like just cold starting an engine halfway into a race and not knowing what the hell's going on yeah um so that was that was really challenging and it was it was very confronting because i'd been an absentee dad and i felt like i'd abandoned my daughter and then when charlie was born um she was a lockdown baby so she was born between the lockdowns in new zealand and you guys know like new zealand just became fort knox no one went anywhere so we were at home for four months before she was born. Business was starting to fall to pieces. Um, she was born and then we went back into lockdown again. I was at home for about six weeks with her as a newborn. And then as soon as we got back out of lockdown, I was like back to work, trying to hustle, trying to survive, but really struggling. And my wife, my wife, my wife felt like I just abandoned her and I really struggled with that. And for probably the first nine months, I really felt like I was an absentee dad with Charlie. And I really struggled to to connect with her. I, I really struggled with the newborn baby. Um, and I saw it as a failing for myself. And just slowly over time by being around and by a very patient wife um, and helping me to grow into that space of actually being a dad, because, you know, Shane, you touched on, we don't read the books and didn't have all the knowledge and information. She told me to read heaps of shit. I read none of it. I was just busy <laughs> with other stuff. So, and then she's like, you say that you don't fucking know anything, but you don't read anything that I give you. And I, I just didn't have the headspace or the, the desire or the drive to do that. And I really struggled as a dad. And then we moved out of Auckland when Charlie was about six months old and we came down to Raglan. And for the first three months, it was really chaotic, um, change of business and lifestyle. And there the provider protector kicked in and it was about survival for me. But I found a groove here. And because my office is three minutes away from home, in the beginning, it was across the road. I was just home. I was home for lunch. I was home for mornings until eight o'clock. I was home at five o'clock. And I just got to be home and be present. And it was a day and night switch for me because I got to see my daughter for the child that she was and I just got to be a dad and not worry about any of the other shit and just be a dad, just be home and hang out, sitting on the carpet, trying to not freak out about the food that has been scattered all over the dining room and the walls and on me and just like lean into that. And it was an amazing transition. And then when my boy was born, he was the one that I've just, like, I feel like I'm a dad. You know, I've been doing this now for six and a half, seven years. And he's the first one that I actually feel like this is what it feels like to be a dad. I get this. Yeah. So, 
yeah it's um it's, yeah the 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 more kids i had the the uh i realized the more they can bounce like i <laughs> so yeah. had the, the first one man, was bubble like, oh, bubble wrap. and then the third yeah. one was like oh yeah she'll be right you get up yeah. um but like both you men said that um like when you stepped into fatherhood you didn't know the role and same thing happened with me and i was really proactive so i'd go to all the prenatal um things oh, and yeah. so i went to all the, and we we're in a private hospital so we went to this this workshop this prenatal workshop and there was only myself and two other dads and maybe 20 women and that's the that's probably the percentage i've seen a lot in personal development when it's like that percentage of like 10 15 percent of men there so we go through this process and especially going into childbirth i'm like what's my role as as a husband or as the partner um for for my part uh, for my wife or future wife and then i wanted to learn that and i actually asked we went into this birthing suite and i said oh so when we come in here what can i be doing and this lady that was running the thing she's like oh you're the father your job's to change the nappies and everyone laughed and then wow. so I let the laughter stop. I'm like, what you just did then, I know that you're joking, but literally this is the way that I feel that fatherhood's been represented in the world right now. There's these young men like us that are really wanting to be present and connected because we didn't have that in our childhood and we want, we want to be part of this. We just want to know how because we don't fucking know. And then you tell me, I'm just going to change nappies. I, I just really feel shut down right now. Um, because I want to be here, I want to be present, and so yeah, same as you guys. Like, uh, the next question I wanted to ask you is like, you said that you had books, like there was books that got offered to you to learn to be a father. Though, what resources have you used? And so, especially what Brendan you said, it's like six years later, I actually feel like I'm a dad. So it sounds like to me what I'm hearing it was actually time in the trench. Was was the thing that allowed you like hands on, and I think we as logic as as problem solving men, it's we don't want it up in here. Like we actually need to sink our teeth into something to learn. I don't want to put words in your mouth, uh, but is that how you guys learn to be good dads? Is it like by seat in the trenches? Like how else do you guys learn to become a better dad or be the best dad possible? Yeah, um, jump on that. I'd say it's just yeah, testing and adjusting. So just trying trying to do what you thinks right and then seeing how that goes seeing what the outcome is and then just yeah adjusting that to 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 change um what you're putting into it and see what the outcome is um after those changes but yeah it's just constantly evolving i think um and just being fluid so i started off very rigid being ex-military it was like all right this is what you need to do and this is when it needs to be done by i'm going well she's she's two so I don't care. She she can she can still do it. <laughs> she can make a bed. She can put smiles on her socks and have them sitting this way in a wardrobe. Um, but yeah, so it, it took me a couple of years to to get out of the rigidity, and then just I'm I'm just yeah I'm I'm still stuck in the trying to trying to be the fun one. Um, we don't argue. I don't have to raise my voice at her ever. Um, and I, I don't think she pulls the piss. She just knows that that's. That's just how it is. If I ask for something, I don't need to to yell. It's just it just needs to be done. So yeah, just but being fluid, yeah, and cool. not too rigid. The that rigidness, I remember, especially when Breathy, the my the the firstborn for us, the boy, up until 
like two years old because like I didn't know how to be with him because this is like a, a little human. And so yeah. to sit down on the mat and play toys with him and stuff, where especially when he's nonverbal, I felt so fucking awkward. Like even talking to him felt awkward because I didn't know how to talk to him and stuff. And so I asked dad, like, what do you do? They're ones with multiple kids. And some really great advice was um, that I got was just talk to him like he's your best friend, like he's an adult. Um, and it, it'll uh, don't baby talk to him. Just just talk openly and just have that open line of communication. So I would actually practice, and, and, and if you really knew, but I've never <laughs> told anyone this. So um, back then, I'd water all the gardens most afternoons. So I started talking to the plants to practice openly talking with no one responding to be okay nice. with just talking. So I'd talk to the plants while I was watering the gardens to help me like literally talk to my boy that couldn't actually be verbal right now. And it just, it, it was really interesting because I'm like, I was almost wishing his his infantry away. I can't wait till we can play board games together. I can't wait to kick the footy with you. And I was like projecting into a future rather than trying to figure out to be present in that moment. Um, that was a really big challenge with that firstborn that um, I remember. Um, how about you, uh, Brendan? Um, I, I think the biggest change for me um, came with being open to criticism, constructive, constructive and otherwise. And actually asking for feedback. Yeah. Um, look, taking a look at how I'd been with Harper and then realizing that that's not quite the, like what you were saying, Shane, really firm, really stern, like, oh, this is it. And seeing so much of my parents' parenting style coming through there. I fucking do as you're told, sit in the corner, rah. You know, that sort of a dad. And then with Charlie, knowing that I'd let my wife down and knowing that the way that I'd behave made her feel abandoned where she didn't know what was going on. She was a new mum, no support network, and abandoned by the one person that should have held space for her. So then just asking her, when I'm doing something, how's this landing? Do you feel that it's contributing to a positive outcome here? Or, you know, what could I do differently in this space? And, and like you, Blaze, we're just asking, how the hell do you play for three hours with a one-and-a-half-year-old? Like just sit on it like, oh, I'm completely lost with that sort of thing. So, and asking like, okay, uh, I'm, I'm stuck here, babe. I see all the toys, but I, I don't know where to start here. And she'll be like, okay, cool. So just pick up this board game or pick up this and this is what you do. And then just going into that and just being totally happy with being the novice student who knows nothing yeah. and then leaning on my own experiences. So, yeah. and that's been amazing. Yeah. So like with Jock, it's, it's way better, but I still get stuck. I'm just like, oh, I don't know what to do here. And then I'm like, babe, I don't know what's going on. She's like, just pick this up. I was like, oh, right. Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. There we go. And then we're all away playing again. So. I've asked so many fathers this. Uh, and a majority across the board are men, are men that invest in themselves. Um, time, money, effort, energy into becoming better men. Um, and then that's men as an overarcher, but a lot of these men, uh, they've invested a lot into becoming better businessmen for their businesses and everything. And that's a no-brainer. I don't know this. I'm going to put my hand up. I'm going to get support. I'm in a relationship and the marriage is failing. Oh, I'm going to go get that counselling. But then fatherhood is this other thing. Is like, oh, we should know. It's like this instinctual thing that we should know. And it's like been really hard for myself and you and then all these other men I've spoken to to actually put the hand on like, hey, man, I don't fucking know how to be a dad. <laughs> like, where do I begin? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, we've been super proactive with a lot of like courses and stuff, like conscious parenting courses. Um, 
and just actively asking. Uh, like a challenge that we're facing is, um, so Brett, our oldest boy, he's five and a half. So he actually could have started prep this year. And he goes to a pretty conscious kindy. And we've been noticing he has a lot of energy. Um, and as parents, I think I might have told you guys this in the MindFit gym. I actually got to a point with him maybe four months ago. Um, I was in his room um, in, trying to insert some sort of discipline with his, the way that he lashed out to it. He stabbed his brother um, and drew blood with a pen. And I remember looking at him and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And uh, up until like when that first two years where I didn't know how to play with him, all of the tools and everything, I thought that I had it covered about how to raise him. And then I'm just like, I feel so out of my league right now. Um, so we've been asking so many people about help and support. And that one of the big things was like, do we send him to school or do we hold him back? Do we just hold him back that year? And we went and asked like, it was like over 30 parents that had uh, children, uh, did they or did they not hold them back? Uh, everyone that said that they held them back, 100% said, oh, it was the best thing we ever did. Their parents said, didn't hold them back. All of them, but majority, majority, it was a couple that didn't, didn't, but majority of them said, we wish that we did. And we're, oh, wow. yeah, and we're seeing leaps and bounds with him in a kindy that he is one of the older kids. Um, the teachers are working with us to empower his leadership, but really empower his emotional regulation. And now we have an OT come in um, into our family unit um, and at kindy to help him navigate this transition to step into school life. Um, yeah, it's been, yeah, super, like, it was yeah, one of the most challenging things. And then the for us, and I, you, you guys might be the same, that I, I really felt indoctrinated in the school system, in the government system. And I think that it led to a lot of um, just really stuff that I'm, I'm breaking through right now and letting go of conditioning-wise. And so just choosing the school, fuck, man, that puts so much pressure on my wife and I. <laughs> to, to go through and, like, go to all these things and – but to really ask a lot of questions because these these people are going to be looking after our kids and raising our kids of like um like are the values aligned are the belief systems and like one of the very first things I kept asking and because this was a big thing that I needed to break through because at school we've got a gold star and the oh, the gold star the reward system and we used to do these 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 contests that you'd be in two lines. And you get to the front of the line and the teacher asks you questions, like trivia questions. And if you got it right, the faster you answered, you get the state. And so I used to win that all the time and I wanted to win. And that has just set me up for so much fucking failure as raising my kids <laughs> and in my, in my, in my marriage to, to, be, to be impulsive like that. And so that was one of the first questions when we got to ask the principals and teachers, what kind of reward system do you do now? Is the gold star thing still going? And so it's nice to see majority of the schools don't have that anymore. Um, the if it's okay with you guys, uh, what kind of beliefs or values are you? As we've all agreed that we're we're here to be facilitators and guiding our children become their own individuals, and we also, or I, I feel that you guys know this, that we're going to shape them because of our value systems. Um, but yeah, um, what values uh, are you wishing to uh, guide your children to have to uphold? Um, uh, and is there any challenges with in doing so, um, Shane? And also too, because with with both you guys, it's um, you also have children to wire, uh, partners that you're no longer longer with, and so that would also be challenging, I'd say, to try and have that aligned values because it's not under the same roof. So 
Honesty is probably um, our biggest value that we both instill in Bridie, um, just for for whatever it is. Um, and she she's really good at that. She'll she'll come and tell us when she's stuffed up or done something that she shouldn't have. Um, and yeah, then she gets rewarded for being honest after she gets a bit of discipline for whatever it is that she's done. Um, joy is a big one. So as I've said, I'm, I'm the fun one. So I'm, I'm always trying to do stuff that's fun. Um, and I guess family is big because I wasn't, our, our family's not close, whereas my wife's family is very close. So I will promote her to go and do stuff with that side of the family, even if it's time that I'm supposed to have her, just so she's got that family connection because I know how important that is. And pretty much all I've got left now is my sister. Um, both my parents are gone. So, um, yeah, I, I promote the family oneness um, just to stay involved with that. So they'd be my top three, I think, and we're, we're pretty much on the same page, me and Bridie's mum on those ones. Yeah, cool. Beautiful. How about you, Brendan? Uh, so one that we're working really hard on is sort of an unbridled curiosity as a way to um, view the world and to experience. My wife's really good in that space and I, I, I really struggle because I, I, I find that I'm I triggered and I fall back to the old ways of how I was, of, especially if there's something dangerous like a knife or a drawing pen or something like that. I immediately just go to like, no, 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 that's not safe to play with. Um, but what, what my wife's working with me on and how to learn in this space and it, I'm finding it really challenging is to scaffold, especially with Charlie, is to scaffold her through using a dangerous implement or playing with the drawing pins to show her how she can do it safely and then encourage, encourage the curiosity. So she's allowed to do pretty much anything with my wife. I find I get tripped up really quickly in that space. Um, <laughs> and no, 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 don't do, don't do, don't do that. That's not safe. So, um, so that's a big challenge for me at the moment. And it's one I'm working on every day. And then I think the other one is know yourself and know your boundaries and, and listen to that internal voice. And fortunately, my wife being Dutch is incredibly stubborn and incredibly strong willed. And my children have got that from her. And my oldest Harper is equally as stubborn. I'd like to think she got that from her mum. But <laughs> so, but but listen, listen to that internal voice. And if you if you feel uncomfortable or you feel that you want something or don't want something, speak your truth, and and we'll teach you how to set boundaries. We'll teach you how to say no. We'll teach you how to emphatically say yes to something that you're intrigued by or encouraged by or inquisitive about, um, and to support them and to actually listen when they say no, even if it's something that we want them to do, like get dressed or brush your hair Bro. and just. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, oh. Yes, it's, and, and learning that trick, like, okay, I hear what you're saying. You're saying no now. How about we revisit? And, and my daughter's become amazing when she's like, I just need a minute. Yep. And you're like, okay, cool. I can give you that minute. Yep. And so it's really cool to see that interaction where by acknowledging what they tell me, and then being able to respond and engage with her, she then comes back and like, okay, I've had my minutes. We can do this. We can brush the hair or whatever it is. Bro, I laugh with you. And I know that every father listening right now is having that same chuckle um, <laughs> because that's a big thing that we're implementing with our, um, with our family, family unit is um, asking for what it is that you need. Um, so the kids ask for space. 
Um, yeah. And so just this morning, uh, my wife and Ocean were making breakfast, something happened, and then Minnie, like I said, no, she ripped the cereal packet open. Minnie reprimanded up, and so she went into the lounge room and she just started screaming into a pillow. And this little girl's two, man. And so she's going Aww. through this, going through these processes that we're teaching the boys. And so I went in the comforter and she looked at me and she's like, Daddy, space. And I'm like, I'll just sit here, darling, so that you know that um, I'm here for you. And she's like, space, Daddy. So I, I like left and she watched me leave <laughs> and I waited for a little I, I waited for a little bit. I popped my head back around, and when she saw me that I was gone, head back in the pillow, and fully just kept going in the pillow, just releasing. And so yeah, that's wow. yeah, man, because that's one of the big things that we're we're doing, and this has been so fucking difficult, is allowing our kids to fully feel their emotions so that they don't yeah. suppress them. And it's yeah. super challenging when it's out in the public. Because oh, yeah. it's changing that paradigm of how I was brought up. Children would be seen to be, be, be seen, oh. not heard. Mum would say, I'll give you something. <laughs> Stop crying. I'll give you something. <laughs> fuck. Oh, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, right man. And to, I can feel the judgment. Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, and then when they're going through these big emotions. Um, and the, yeah, the, um, there's this saying that my wife uh, always says is that. Um, he's not giving us a hard time or the, our kids aren't giving us a hard time. They're going through a hard time. And it's just like, that's been like, yeah. And, and through that, allowing them to express, there's these, these moments, like we might go months where we can feel this judgment, but then one person will just go, mate, what you're doing is amazing. And like, yeah. remember this old fella, I was, I'm trying to teach my, my children that mum and wife, is she's not just she's not just there to actually like hey there's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes with mums doing all the washing hanging it out like be really grateful for the what the role that mummy plays so at swimming lessons the boys have to put all of their laundry into the towel um and they are the swimmers in the towel and then into the swimming bag this one day man breathy didn't want to do it and i'm like if i don't let him if i just let him walk out of here and not do it he's got me and I just got to stand firm. Over ten minutes, man. He melted down. <laughs> and and the other, the thing was where we go swimming in the change room. It's an old school change room, so all the old fellas are in there. They, and they're oh, like yeah. 55, 60 plus, all nude, and they're all having they're standing their dicks out and they're having those conversations. But they're old school, right? So they're old school. Here I am with this young four year old at the time, conscious, trying to conscious parent him to get him like, to that. And he finally did it. And this old fellow's like, mate, well done. I see what you did there. You didn't let him break you. Yeah. And just to have this old fellow that, and that the stares that some of them were getting me, and I could hear the mumble, like, just fucking vlogging. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and just to stay firm with that. But just that dude, yeah. man, he gave me enough praise to keep me going for another six months to just keep changing the paradigm of how we're raising our kids. The, um, the curiosity piece, we're doing that as well. Um, the, the another another aspect of that is around boundaries. Um, I was molested um, when I was nine, and so it's and there's been uh, like a boy pulled his penis out at kindy, and they're like they're only like five and under, man. So we're really also proactive around sacredness, and it's like how can we have the conversation with not calling this in <laughs> into their life where they can actually um, know their body as well. Uh, especially for our daughters and we're like um and daughter and the boys like both of them because it, it, there is that 
they're kids and they're curious and they want to touch and feel and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but then also that boundary of like, hey, no, this is my sacred place. Like uh, that has been an interesting one to navigate. And, and well, my wife actually did a um, uh, there was a masterclass last week about it about how to introduce sexuality and have how do you bring up the sex conversation with your kids. And the reason the lady is creating this course is because her child in grade two came back in grade two, that's like seven years old, and then came and told her about how the how kids were made. And she felt like she was robbed of the opportunity to teach her child, children that. It's like, man, like Bratty's like five and a half. Like, we've got to start having these conversations, man. Like, um, it's like, when's the right time? And all that kind of my, stuff. My, so, my daughter knows um, the building that she was made in and she always asks me what building are other kids made in. So she she knows when we drive <laughs> when we're driving down to the Gold Coast, she sees the building, she goes, Oh, there's the building I was made in. And then yeah, she goes, Where 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 are all the oh, other kids made? <laughs> Oh, the the <laughs> um, what um, what piece of advice did you get from your father that were beneficial in this context, or just overall? Just overall. Um, probably the one that sticks with me was the old measure twice, cut once. Um, he he was a builder, and I'm pretty right much the only male in our whole family that isn't a trades or I'm a tradesman but not in the building trade um so yeah his one that he was mad on was measure twice cut once he he used to do his philosophy was no one could build a house like him so he would do everything he'd do the bricks the tiling um everything himself it would take you 10 times as long to get your house but you know that it was going to be perfectly done by the end so yeah, that's probably where I got a bit of my perfectionism stuff from. But that's when you mentioned that question, that was the first thing that popped into my mind. Yeah. How about you, Brendan? I think my one comes back to, to driving, really. And then everything from there was um, he taught me about defensive driving. And um, if you can't reverse and you can't park, you shouldn't be on the road. And it sort of played out into a couple of other aspects. And, and he said once to me that if you're going to do something, do it properly. Don't half-ass it. Otherwise, just don't fucking do it. Um, and that's something that I've taken away and tried to implement. I've been more successful in implementing it in the business and work ethic side of things than the other side. Uh, there's a lot of half-assing that's gone on. Um, but, yeah, that's probably the biggest um, biggest takeaway that I got from my old man over time. The only direct feedback where dad gave me piece of advice i remember i was maybe 14 and we he took me to a skate bowl i had some blades on and i remember asking him dad can you give me some advice about women and he said he goes i'll give you two things uh on your first date don't talk about yourself too much just ask about them and the second piece of advice always look at the mother because that's how they're going to turn out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's the only they're pretty sound pieces of advice but that's the only sort of direct yeah. pieces of advice i can remember dad giving me um yeah wow. yeah there, there's indirect pieces um like I, dad had ocd he'd always make lists and that kind of stuff and i know that that's come out and just through that that raising in the environment and being around him i've adopted some of his habits but yeah that was the actual direct piece of advice the um I want to come back to what you were saying, Brendan, about the the parenting styles, and so your style versus your wife's style. 
because in our relationship, it's the opposite way around where I'm the, yeah, okay. like super dangerous and just like, yeah, I'll be right. And then wife is just like still bubble wrap. Uh, she's getting better. Um, the, it, yesterday, we um, had a picnic at the front of our house and we got scrub or bush bushland in, the, in front of us. There's a lot of mozzies out, so hit the, the citronella with the, the flames, the liquid ones. Yeah. And my three-year-old's like, Daddy, can I touch that flame? I'm like, you, you can, but it's super hot. And he's like, oh, and he went to do it. I'm like, no, touch it, buddy. It, it's all good. You can touch it, but it'll, it'll burn you. But it'll be, it'll be hot, but it won't burn you really bad. And you can see his cognitive stuff going. And it's that, I did the exact same thing for his older brother. And then yeah. Breathy goes, you can touch it, but it'll, it'll be hot. And so because his brother said it, he didn't, he didn't do it. And so oh, yeah. with having that danger and that kind of stuff, it um, – like I, I allow my boys to come with uh, with me, use a knife and help me chop up stuff and that kind of stuff. Um, what is there any um, for both of you gentlemen? Do you see any difference with the way that a father parents and a mother parents across the board? Do you see any differences of, of the way that we're raising young? I'm I'm probably a little bit opposite with my one, so I'm I'm the calming one. So I've I've been taking my daughter to yoga since she was three years old, which is massive for her. She's that that's assisted her self-regulation and calming, I think, over the last five years. Um and I, I guess it's hard. I, I try and get my daughter to be emotional with me, but she just won't. So I think it was because of the all the visiting that I was doing up here and how happy I was when we were together and then how upset I was when I was leaving. Um, she used to think that she was the one that was making me cry and upset. So she wouldn't show any emotion around me and then I'd drop her back to her mum and within five minutes I've got a phone call going, can you just come back for a minute? Um, so, yeah, I my role's been a bit all over the place, um, but I'm... I'm the calming one and the trying to get emotions out one. Um, and then my daughter's totally yeah, different yeah. between the two parents. What something you just said then is uh, something my wife my wife pointed this out. And so just as I mentioned at the start of the middle of this podcast around our eldest boy, he's got a lot of energy and so very, some really big emotions. Uh, so we recently bought our new house and I've been working physically more than I, like physically on the house. So doing men's work and coaching plus taking time out there. So I've gone from being really present in the mornings, in the afternoons to most mornings, most afternoons I'm outside working and not present with the kids. And we just had that long weekend. So I was on a floor grinder, uh, grinding the, back, the concrete for the past three or three days. So disconnected from the family, um, doing eight hour days. And breathy started getting really big emotions again. And then Monday or Tuesday when I came back in, he got grounded again. And so what we, what my wife said is that just my presence of being in the house, there's like this grounding energy uh, because at the moment he's really rebellious against my wife and that, and when she's trying to implement discipline, whereas with, with my, uh, with, the, with the way that I'm interacting with him, um, just, yeah, I don't have to ask too many times. I don't have to get up. Like he, if I ask him to do something, he'll just do it straight away and not rebel too much. Uh, so, yeah, within our dynamic, we really feel there's the, that grounded, the groundedness within the dynamic. And we only just really recently uh, discovered that over the past, uh, 
past the last sort of uh, month or so. Uh, how, about, yeah, cool. how about you, Brendan? Uh, definitely quite, although I think we're on this, a similar page in how we want to parent our kids, I definitely see a difference in the style from a perspective where I think that she has significantly more patience than I do. And she's just, but I also see that our kids lose their shit at, like at a hundred times the volume and velocity and volatility with her because they just feel safer and more grounded with her 100%. Than, than with me, you know, and I, and I'd see it with Harper as well. Who's my oldest who, so like you Shane, who, you know, very different styles of parenting with the ex and she'd get home and literally within like five minutes, I get a text message or a voice message. I don't have a great relationship with the ex um, about why is my daughter in tears and this and this is going on. I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Like it's been an amazing weekend. Um, so there's quite a discrepancy between those two parenting styles. And I struggle in a lot of that space where I try and bring some structure with Harper coming into the house fortnightly and to help guide her. But there's sort of 12 days of a very different environment and a very different parenting style when she's with her mum than when she comes in to our house. Um, but yeah, I think the patience is the biggest one for me that, that I am working on and see a lot of opportunity for discovery and growth in. Yeah, that's a, for any listeners that are soon to be dads or have like young children, what you just highlighted was something that I questioned as well, that I'd go to the kindy and then I'd get there and then the kids would just explode and cry <laughs> or, or I'd go to, go to grandma, go to nannies go pick them up and the next thing boom all these big emotions and then nanny's like i don't know they've been amazing all day so i wanted to know like fuck what have they done but it is exactly what you just said man we're providing and we're the protector of that safety where our kids feel safe enough to fully express themselves um which is a really beautiful thing um and yeah powerful the with 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 that so let's let's get in that this route of like that that's like a a hack that was a dad hack that or a parenting hack that um that we learned and, and that you learn as well that, that that is safety is there any other hacks of of parent parenting hacks that uh, you guys have learned along the years that you'd like to offer to our listeners that have helped you that are helping your family an example of um, something that we do at the dinner table is conscious conversations so um we take turns in leading and we've got this little, it's a little love heart. It's got this little bell in it. And so whoever's got the thing, it's like a talking stick. So they don't talk over top of each other because they used to just try and get in. Um, <laughs> but just because like what you, I uh, think it was uh, Shane, you said about that honesty. You just want that open dialogue and conversation. And we're the same with the young kids. We just want them to feel safe about to openly talking. So one of the things that we, we're asking them is uh, what, what's the three highlights of your day? And so they all get to talk about their day as an individual and they all get their space to share uh, and no one's let to leave the table until everyone shares. And so we're bringing that connection. Um, that's, that's helped, I think, immensely. Is there um, any, um, any hacks that you guys use or anything that you're uh, doing as a father to, to raise your kids in a, a way that's helping you guys? Um, the, the, probably the reason why I didn't read books was the best bit of advice I ever got given was don't take anyone's advice. Um, it's not black and white. It's, it might be written down in a book like that and then your kid could come out and be totally opposite. So going with the flow. So that, that was probably my excuse for not reading stuff. Um, we started using this talking point card set just to bring up some different lots of questions um, at the dinner table. 
and it's really good. We're just starting to learn a lot of different things about each other and bring some questions that we usually wouldn't ask each other. Um, and I think just the the whole grounding thing from such a young age was really important. Just the whatever that is, if that's a, a martial art or a yoga um, style of technique to be able to help self-regulate and ground has been absolutely um, priceless. And we, we've just started doing a gratitude journal in the last year as well, which has been huge for her um, just, to, just to get the emotions Amazing. out onto paper and just for being grateful for all of the, the fantastic stuff that we have and we take for granted. Yeah, we've got something like that. Is um, so rather than a time, it was a time in corner, a time out corner. We've got a car, a calming corner. So there's this company called Gen Mindful. They send you out these um, these posters that you get to put up, and they've got all these colours and they've got different animals, but they're aligned with the chakras. And so and they and there's all these words and the kids can put stickers. Then there's another one and it's uh, and it's got emotional regulation and it's got like maybe fifteen different things they can do. And so, we, like, uh, we, when they have big emotions, we take them there, but we also take them there when they don't have a big emotion. So it's like just continually just, um, just the reps, the more reps they can do. Um, but yeah, there's things like hug a teddy, drink a glass of water, count to 10, breathing, um, read a book. Uh, there's things they can squeeze and all that kind of stuff. And then they get to pick three. Like, cool, what three do you want to have? To, uh, what, do you, what would you like to do? Uh, and it's so helpful. Uh, to have that place of like they know they can go there, be calm and have their own space. Um, yeah, yeah. How about you, Brennan? Is there? Yeah. So I, th I think for me, obviously with really little ones, the conversations and stuff haven't quite started yet, but something that we've made a foundational point for the family is that we try to eat meals at the table. So the kids have got um, two really cool high chairs. They've got matching high chairs, just different colors. And um, we try and sit down at the table and be a hundred percent present with meals and you know the attention span is really short so if we get five or eight minutes sitting at the table eating food that's a fucking win but just that bringing the family together around food and chatting and being present in the moment um has been amazing and um i've really really enjoyed that space and we see that they respond really well apart from eating really well they actually really engage in that space yep and um it's been really cool to see how it's pulled all of them in um really comfortably into that where if it's dinner time you know the tv's off or the books away the toys are down and they hop up into their chairs and then yep. it, it's go time so yep. yeah it's been awesome yeah we're exactly the same man and no screen so no screens at the table so no phone tablets yeah yeah 100 percent um and just a, this is a side note but this is, uh, so we got married in november last year and so for our wishing well we're like actually let's get intentional with this like what do we want to use the money for that our, all of our friends and family are going to uh, gift us for our wedding i'm like let's get a really fucking dope dinner table because of that nice. exactly what you just said man because yeah. we're all like i love food and then yeah. uh, and love connection and, and that's going to be our focal point for like next 18 years while these kids are at home um and to the ten dollars the money that was given to us bought the table <laughs> and the chairs and this big beautiful dining table so yeah, yeah man it's like yeah that focal point there's um um one of the things that um uh, that we're doing and um I learned through, um, uh, I think it was, I did a, um, 
can't remember what the program was called, but it was a men's work program and every man in there was a father. It was the very very first uh, workshop or a program I was part of that it was all fathers. And one of the things was um, about repair. And so as dads, we are, we're going to fuck up <laughs> um, and we're, and we're going to use our, our emotions is going to spill over all that kind of stuff. Uh, and one thing that I never saw my dad do, whether it was towards me, towards my brothers and sisters, or especially towards my mom, I never heard my dad apologize. I never heard him own his shit. I never, ever heard him say, hey, man, this wasn't cool. And so that's something that we're uh, really vigilant of is repair. So no matter what, how big or small it is, is that um, that if we fuck up to our kids and we're against our family values or the way we're, we're raising them, um, that we come back and repair that and own that. Um, and it's uh, it's it's been fucking so challenging, and because yeah, there's a lot of fatherhood guilt. So I'd like to talk about that as well. That comes up about because uh, I really pride myself on being that role model through my way of actions, not telling the kids how to be a man or to be the best human, but through my actions and when I fuck up. Uh, but yeah, looking my kids in the eye, especially the oldest one, because he cops, sort of cops more of the brunt than the other kids at the moment. Um, but looking him in the eyes and like, I'm really sorry for the way that I spoke then. That's not okay. Uh, uh, I'm not being the example and showing you how to be grounded. And just the innocence and softness of like, it's okay, dad. I know you have a hard time. Oh. Just like, oh. just like he, he, he's telling me what I should be telling myself. You know what I mean? Uh, but just I think that I feel is going to be uh, so beautiful and beneficial of like, them seeing me cry and own my emotions and and saying, hey, man, I fucked up there. Um, so that this connotation that I think that you guys would have had, that I've had, that we have to have everything figured out, we have to have it all together, um, that we can sort of change that conditioning. Um, so, yeah, that, that thing that came up, fatherhood guilt. Uh, um, do you guys experience fatherhood guilt? Yep, definitely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. What what brings that on for you guys the most? I think for me, it's feeling that I'm not enough. So that's something that I've struggled with as a, as a man and personally that I'm not enough. Um, and then not showing up in the way that I want to for my kids and getting to the end of the day when everything's in and done and they're all in bed and sort of reflecting on things and just realizing that where I could have been better. And... Um, yeah, just not not being the dad and living up to those expectations that I have of myself, where am I the example to my girls of the man that I want them to find one day? Um, am I the example to my little boy of the man that I want him to grow up to be? And um, there's days, man, when I put my head on my pillow and I know that that's just not gone and stuck to that ethos and that value hasn't flowed through my days and my interactions with them or my wife. You know, they see me have an argument with her and I look back on that and it's like, is that the dad that I want them to see me being? Um, and that that's hard, man. That's really hard to see my little three-year-old look at me and, and know that that's not who she wants to see as her dad. Yeah. Yeah. With that repair, um, that same thing it just reminded me is if my wife and I have an argument in front of each other or speak to each other in a way that isn't in alignment with our family values, to repair it in front of them as well. Um, so yeah. they can see both of the things like, oh, okay, that's not okay. It, it wasn't okay yeah. the way daddy spoke to mum or mummy spoke to dad or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, how about um, you, Shane? My, my guilt comes from leaving my family, I guess, um, and the, 
the stories that got told to my daughter why um, I had left. So that that's where the guilt started. And then it was just from missing all those little things. Like I was up here half the time, but then the half of the time that I wasn't here, um, I felt so bad for missing things. Um, and I just, I, I'm feeling guilty into the future for how what I've done is impacting on her now and how it's going to impact her down the track. So I, I try and be as present as I possibly can now and I go to everything that I can, but I'm still worried about the impact of my decision a few years ago, um, what that will have on her future. Um, the, we're the same with that and my wife and I put a big, bit of humour with that. So in these times of repair, I'll, we'll do something fucked up with the kids and then when it's just my wife and I'm like, oh, babe, fuck, there's three months of, of counselling when he's 18. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we know what we know and what we're in the work for, why we're, why we're always in, in the brotherhood and having accountability and, and uh, continually unpacking this conditioning. Um, the biggest thing for me, man, with fatherhood guilt is um, what brings the guilt on is me taking time out for myself. Oh, yeah. That like for me to go for a surf or go hang out with my mates or uh, and leave my wife by herself and, and raising the kids, um, that has been like, that's been the biggest thing of fatherhood guilt for me. Um, and it's been, yeah, it's been super relevant and it's been, have, for me, having to really dig into like, why do I feel like this? Because like so many people reflect to me how present of a dad I am and how, uh, like how how much I show up for them, but I can't, like, I feel like anxiety and guilt to even go and take a surf. Now, the way that I've combated with that is realizing that um, if I'm depleted and not taking any, and not doing anything for myself away from my family, that I'm going to be depleted. And then when I feel depleted, uh, there's a lot of resentment charges that come towards my wife. I have a short fuse. I become a cranky dad. Um, and so me then now knowing that me going going for a surf once a week, uh, me going uh, and disconnecting and just hanging out with mates, me going solo, my big thing, just go out the bush for a night and just sit by myself by a fire, are, those, are the moments where I get to recharge for fatherhood, uh, recharge for marriage. Um, and so that's how I've been able to get past that fatherhood guilt. Uh, another thing I saw um, recently, it was a, 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 a successful businessman, and he said about um, that the guilt would come in when he's with the kids because he wouldn't be present and he was super present with all of his work. So what he actually did was scheduled in, in his calendar, presence with the kids. So it was an actual item that he could tick off and it was something like, okay, cool, it's in my calendar, it's in that thing, I've got to go go do that. Um, how, with both of the fatherhood guilt that you've been experiencing, um, because your journeys that I know there'd be many people listening that would have exactly the same guilt, fatherhood guilt climb up. How are you moving through that? How are you being with that? What what are you uh, realizing? Awarenesses that you're gaining, or any tools that you're using as an individual uh, to get step through or past that fatherhood guilt? So if if I can lean into what you were saying, where your guilt is around taking space for yourself and um, time to recharge the cup. A lot of what I see comes from that, and this is something that we've been working on recently um, to help combat that not great dad that I am because my cup has been depleted and, you know, not a great, not a great husband, not a great dad, not a great man, really. 
Um, so I've put, it's been really hard for me to choose time for myself to get my fitness on track, to go for a hobby, like go for a surf, get in the water. Um, you know, I bought a new board in the beginning of the year. I've surfed it once. I haven't been in the water in four months, you know, so, um, but it's, it's starting to create time and collaboration with my wife to take half an hour to go and do something for myself that I'm finding gives me a little bit more capacity to actually then show up better as the dad that I want to be and also the husband that I want to be not so scratchy not so reactive and to just have more bandwidth yeah um, and I, I do the calendar as well so yep. I'm driven very much by my work calendar so I have like child kid time during the mornings I have my wife's Pilates class which is actually scheduled as like home time with the kids. Yep. So um, yeah, so that's been amazing to actually create structure for myself to take time to recharge and be slightly better on a day to day. Bro, hundred percent, man. And I'm a big believer of this, that structure creates flow. Yeah. For me, it, it's, and most men I talk to is structure creates flow. Um, I only became a businessman uh, five years ago. And then that first year was so clunky because I didn't run on a calendar. Bro. And one of the best things I could have ever done for our family unit was sync my calendar and my wife's calendar because yeah. I, like it just felt like I was having to go continually check in with her of like what's the schedules and all that kind of stuff. But if I've now got locked in the calendar um, and then it's sort of first in best dressed and it's like on yeah. weekends, if Minnie's got something on, it's in the calendar. Okay, it's in the calendar. She's doing something with her friends that weekend. Cool, I've got the kids. So it took yeah. a little bit of time to have that conscious agreements, but then also locking in days where I get to go surf and jujitsu and she's got the stuff and yeah, calendars, man. It's, yeah, it's been amazing. And then syncing both yeah. of our calendars has been really, really powerful. Um, yeah, cool. How about you, Shane? Mine, mine would be... I guess because I've got shared care, so I make sure that every day that I don't have my daughter, I'm up doing sunrise, I'm out doing stuff for myself, I'm doing all the stuff that I need to do to fill my cup. So then when I've got my daughter, then I'm just there with her. That's it. So I've got no, no agenda yeah, that cool. I need to do um, and I can just be fully present um, once, I'm, once I'm with her. Yeah, 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 beautiful. Thank you, bro. Uh, so, brothers, uh, thank you very much for your time. This has been a super insightful conversation. Uh, and we have this thing within the MindFit podcast that we talk about uh, footprints. And I know that you guys been in the MindFit Gym HQ uh, know about these footprints. And so for the listeners, we ask them is to leave footprints in the comments. So those comments that they leave on these podcasts or these aha moments or awarenesses that they've gained, to leave comments and like what landed for them so that it can inspire and resonate with other people that come um, after them. Not that they're behind them, but along this path of becoming better men, becoming better fathers. And so I'd like to offer you guys a, a verbal footprint. What would be a footprint you would like to put into the listeners is as something to allow them to sit with, to be with, to be the best father or the best human or the best man uh, possible that may have been helping you or something that's, uh, yeah, that's deeply resonated with you. But what footprint would you like to leave right now? Shane. Thank you. <laughs> well, well done. Um, I, I, I'd say what I mentioned before, be fluid. Um, it's not black and white parenting or fathering. Um, there's no textbook that's going to tell you exactly how your child or children operate or what you need to do to operate with them. Just be fluid, be open, and um, you're doing an awesome job. Nice one. Yeah. Um, I think for me is um, 
be gentle with yourself and forgive yourself quickly because you're going to fuck it up and we're hardest on ourselves and it's really hard to bounce back from that. Um, be open and inquiring and, and be willing to learn from your mistakes. Yeah, man. Learning from the mistakes. There's, if we can learn from our mistakes, there's no such thing as failure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, being that gentle with yourself, there, I, I believe I may have said this on another podcast, but I'm going to say it again, is a piece of advice that I got given and it was just as I was become, about to become a father. And the piece of advice was just remind yourself that you're not going to be the world's first perfect father. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh yeah. man, I re it really hit me because of the the where I had my goalpost set to be this like perfect dad um, was yeah it was crazy, uh, and that really allowed me to oh yeah just come back down man like it's all okay. Yeah. Um, I've just got a really little, brief little story for my footprint, um, and it, it's a friend of mine told me this story, and so uh, at the time. Uh, he didn't have kids and his brother came up and his brother had four kids and my mate had a really nice house. It was all set up for him and his, and his partner. And so these four kids come up for two weeks and then he, he said that he could he could feel, and he's a super conscious dude too, and he could feel the anxiety and frustration of these kids just running the fuck in his house, just <laughs> messy and just, just seething and seething. And after about a weekend, his brother uh, could see that he was having a really hard time. And then one of the kids, I'll just say his name was Aaron. Um, he could see my friend, or I won't mention his name, but you know, my friend, he could see that he's just having a really hard time in this internal dialogue and he just wanted to rip and run these kids and just couldn't. And so his brother just said in front, uh, in front of my friend really loudly, he's like, Aaron, stop being a kid. And then walked away. And so... And my, my mate, he sat with that over the next day. He goes, that was a really weird comment from my brother this day. <laughs> and he sat with it for a couple of days and he's realized, he's like, oh, they're just fucking being kids. They're literally just being fucking kids. And he told me that story uh, just as I came into having my third child. And I just remind myself those mornings or those afternoons, especially in witching hour when they're just being kids, man. They're just fucking being kids. Um, it, the My wife... She wasn't home the other, about three, three days ago. I had to pick all the kids, three kids up by myself. Wife wasn't there in which now. And I just reminded myself that up when I was picking them up. They're just kids. They're just kids. So got them. We put uh, plastic plates down on the kitchen bench as I cooked dinner. And literally, man, these kids just played the drums. On, and it was so loud, man. Super loud. And they just played, they just played drums for like 10 minutes. Um, and just that, it was like, in the past, I would have got so pissed off, like, hey, cut that noise off, like, just go watch TV, or just, I'm trying to cook dinner. But they're just being kids, man. They just wanted to yeah. be kids. So that was the, the really beautiful piece of advice that I've got given. So, Yeah, I, I love that. I'm going to take that home with me. That's epic. Yeah, they're just being kids. And the and then because my wife knows that thing too. So we now, because uh, um, what we like to do in our relationship is, pose a question to the other person rather than telling them what to do and so with this kids one if if, if i'm having a hard time or if wife is having a hard time with the kids and the way they're behaving um or they start hey babe are they just being kids right now <laughs> and then because we know the story we can have that laughter and just soften a little bit um yeah, so yeah yeah beautiful wait 
Awesome, man. Uh, thank you so much for gifting uh, your time and your story and your awarenesses and opening up and being raw. Uh, and so, yeah, thank you to the listeners for tuning in. Episode four, thank signing you. out. See ya. Thanks, guys.